1: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's, it's, it's time to talk that
0: talk and we talk it like no one else. This is the stinking truth. Now, here's your host, Mark Schlereth. Hey, welcome to the Stink Truth Podcast. Uh, Mark Schler alongside Mike Evans. It's the Leftovers Podcast between the game of San Francisco Week 18 and the L.A. Rams. Mike, how are you, buddy?
1: I'm good. Where is that uh, tropical place that you are broadcasting from? Is that like one of those fake montages yes. behind you, or is that real?
0: Yeah, that is not fake. That is real. You can see that we've got some drawings on the glass behind me. Um so we are in, we are in Oahu, a um, little family vacation. Got all the grandkids, got the kids. Uh, so always a good time. Um, anyhow, yeah, so we got a little vacation right after the season. Um, thank you, Fox, for uh, flying me out to Hawaii to meet my family.
1: Awesome! Awesome. Well, yeah. uh, very curious to get your thoughts. You, you've talked at length. You've done a lot of San Francisco games, and we know about your unadulterated love of all things Shanahan. So let's give some love mm-hmm. to the uh, to the Rams here as they get ready to play this weekend. Wild card, Super Wild card weekend against Detroit. A fascinating matchup. Uh, Matthew Stafford right. going back home. Jared Goff going up against the team that that basically kicked him to the curb. Uh, but you having had a chance to be around the Rams, Sean McVay. Uh, I, I guess my, my first question that I have as a football fan: Are you surprised? Is Sean McVay surprised that this team was able to rebuild as quickly as they did?
0: Right. Hey, before before I do that, just one one thing on San Francisco, really quick, because I think this is I think this is the most important thing that most people are thinking about right now that are fans of a football team without a quarterback. Okay. Because I think that's big, right? Free agency is going to happen, and you look at, you know, what happened with Jameis Winston in New Orleans. Oh my lord! I mean, seriously, really, victory formation. We're going to go for it. Like if you like one Jameis, don't be an idiot. Two, okay, if it's not Jameis, somebody else on that. All you mean you're telling me ten guys are that dumb? There are ten guys on that offense that are that stupid. It just it's mind boggling to me <laughs> that you can be that dumb. Like all oh, that all guys are like, yeah, good idea. Let's do let's score on victory formation. So all right, I, I digress. Here's what I want to say. I think that what Sam Darnold went through this year, and the way he's had this year of football rehab, mm-hmm. and I probably spent 20 minutes on the field talking to, to Sam uh, before the game. And I talked ad nauseum to uh, Kyle Shanahan about Sam. Sam turned down better opportunities to go in and compete for a starting job, to come to San Francisco, to compete with Trey Lance, to compete with the quarterbacks that were here. Cause he felt like he could beat those guys out. He turned down more money for different organizations to come play for Kyle Shanahan to get a year of football rehab. And, Kyle told him, hey, listen, you're not going to be able to beat Brock Purdy out in practice because he's earned that. You're going to have to outplay him in the preseason. And kind of that's the way they went into this thing. And Sam was like, all right, but I feel like I can beat everybody else out. So he did. They ended up moving Trey Lance to Dallas, you know, who's – I don't even know that he dresses. But anyhow, um, so that was was really cool. Kyle Shanahan said to me, he said – Listen, this guy, Sam Darnold, is a baller. He is smart. He's prepared. He shows up. He's the first guy in the locker room. George Kittle told me, man, this guy is the first dude. Like, I'm like number four or five in the locker room. He's always there. He's always prepped. Brock Purdy told me on Saturday nights, he pulls Brock aside, goes through the entire game plan. What are you seeing? What are you thinking on this? What do you think about this? Through the entirety of the game plan. Because he's been imperative. I come off the field. He's number one. He's pumping me up. Number two, after we meet with um, after we meet with Brian Greasy, he goes over what he sees, what he thinks. Like this guy is a consummate professional, and he can spin it. Now Kyle told me he goes. He he started off, you know, in a bad situation with the Jets. Jeremy Bates was their offense coordinator at the time. And Jeremy Bates was a, I guess, a kind of an Adam Gase type of, of guy. And Kyle was just like, he was operating the Peyton Manning offense, trying to operate as a rookie the Peyton Manning offense, which is let's stay stagnant. Let's not motion. Everybody pre-snap, decide what they're in and, you know, and then exploit what they're like. Kyle Shannon was like, there's really only one dude that can play the Peyton Manning offense. That's Peyton Manning. Like, it's just – there's just too much shit for anybody else. And so this is the first time that he's really been through a true progression offense, one, two, three, you know, try to get through your progressions. Uh, it really doesn't matter what the coverage is. how uh, a running game and all this kind of stuff. So um, he was just like, man, this offense is so intense. It's so in-depth. And every day you come in – they're putting something new on your plate. It challenges you as a quarterback. It makes you have to think and study and prepare and be ready to roll on Sundays. And so here's a guy that is really exposed for the first time in his career as a you know first round third overall guy that really didn't pan out. That was really exposed to a traditional really good um, NFL offense. I think that I think that he is going to be a guy that is going to get an opportunity to play um for somebody and I think he's going to be I think he's going to be a guy that you're going to see kind of blossom toward the end of his career.
1: And by the way you're you're setting all this up and I I don't disagree with any of it. You you might actually see a pretty good bidding war for this guy yeah. because he's got the Kyle Shanahan sort of um seal of approval if you will, endorsement and right. I think people around the league will respect how San Francisco does things, and they're going to look at Sam Darnold as the guy that's ready to blossom.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's any question that that's that's going to be big. Um, so, getting back to Sean McVay, getting back to um, to the Rams. I mean, listen, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Raheem Morris. I think Raheem Morris deserves another opportunity to be a head coach. I really do. Um, I think he's exceptional the way he is groomed and, and built this defense with a bunch of young players. And I'm talking about, you know, you're talking about guys like Kobe Durant and, um, and you know, and, and, uh, Quentin Lake is a young player. And, um, like I mentioned, Kobe Turner and Bobby Brown and Ernest Brown. And I mean, they've got a bunch of young players, uh, Byron young, who's a really good player, bunch of young guys to me who have really, really played well. And, um, and I'm a real big Raheem Morris fan, but Sean McVay, what they did this year was they hit in the draft. They moved a couple guys, uh, Coleman Shelton at the center position, really playing good football. Um, Alerica Jackson at the left tackle position playing well. Steve Avila is a guy that to me is a really good, he's a rookie, plays left guard for them. Um, he's been a huge difference maker. They went out and, Got Kevin Dotson, probably one of those guys that's not really a big signing, um, but has played really well, you know, sitting between Shelton at center and Havenstein at, at tackle. So they, they solidified their offensive line, which was really the biggest disappointment last year in their five-win season. Couldn't keep guys healthy, really couldn't run the ball like they wanted to. And since about midseason, I think they started at like, um, shoot, they started at, three and six maybe. And they ended the season. Let me see. They were one, two, one, two, three. Yeah. Three and six, three, four, five, six. Yep. And then hit their bye week. And since their bye week, they've gone six and one and the way they've run the ball, the way they fit are seven and one, the way they run one. the ball. Um, yeah. That's what, that's really what has, has been a difference maker for them. Aaron Williams has been great, but they've gotten back to doing what they do. And, and that is, you know, disguise themselves as this three-wide spread offense and then cram it down your freaking throat. And it's almost like you don't know what hits you. And then set up all the play-action stuff off of that. We talked about in our regular podcast about all the different ways San Francisco blocks you. Um, And they block you with, uh, you know, with with two backs and two tight ends. And, you know, they're the number one team in the National Football League as far as base formation or two-back formation. 49.5% of the time they're in two backs. The Rams, who play the exact same offense, are in two backs exactly zero percent of the time. They've had no two back sets, but they have a receiver in Cooper Cup who's super smart. sits in the quarterback meetings, meets with the quarterbacks. Like, like this, this is how he operates as an offensive player. He is so dynamic on the edge, really a big time blocker, and he plays. They play a lot of what they call in, in, in excuse me in Los Angeles called eleven and a half personnel. So they're in three wides, but Cooper Cup can play, and they can run plays that are out of twelve personnel, meaning they can run it like Cooper Cup is a second tight end, and he blocks people on the edge. I mean, he'll block defensive ends on the edge he'll couple. He'll combine with another tight end to to you know quad block him, or he'll combine with another um, with a tackle to uh, to tray block him. They call it Trinity uh, when he's in there, as opposed to a tight end is in there just so you know. But anyhow, they do all these different things with Cooper Cup on the edge, and the guy is the most willing participant, man. He just tries to kill people as far as a, you know, as a wide receiver is concerned. Then they go out and get uh, Pukunakua, who is essentially a fullback. So he'll be an insert player when they get into their duo package, meaning they condense, you know, and it's double-team, double-team, duo, tight end, tackle, double-team, uh, guard, center, double-team. And here comes little Pukanakua, who's not that little, but he motions in and then he inserts and he's got first force, whether it's a sandback or whether it's a you know strong safety rolling down. Like they use him like a fullback and they use Cooper Cup like a tight end. And so they're uniquely built that way. So as you prepare during the course of the week, you're preparing for certain things. They're giving you a lot of 12 personnel or two back personnel, plays, but they're doing it out of three wides. And so it's just a different feel, a different look, something maybe you don't practice as much because you're not expecting it, but they do, they do that, and that's one of the things that has made them so good. Kyle Shanahan told me flat out, that's a team that nobody wants to see in the playoffs. They have got a Super Bowl offense. They've got a Hall of Fame quarterback in Matthew Stafford, and he's operating at a Hall of Fame level. They've got a Super Bowl offense. Their defense is good enough special teams concerns me because they've had a lot of mistakes on special teams. Uh, they've given a bunch of returns, but they beat, they theoretically, they beat Baltimore. I think in Baltimore and they gave up a punt return, a walk-off punt return at the end of the game. So you got to understand that this is a damn good football team. And um, I think they go into Detroit and win. I and mean, I think that, I think they're that, that well built, especially on the offensive side of the ball.
1: Busy with Sean McVay. I'm uh, I'm curious because remember this is somebody who we we all kind of wondered around the NFL. Is he burned out? Is is he? Does he need a break? Is he up for the the appetite to to rebuild this thing after coming off a of Super Bowl just a couple of years ago? Being around him, talking to him, what were your impressions?
0: My like my impressions with him because I asked him exactly about that. Like, hey, man, were you close to retiring? What, like, what went down? He said, no, I really wasn't close to retiring. He just got, I had a reset. I had to have a mental reset. And, you know, you tend to forget, like, how fortunate we are to do what we do. And, you know, the just the the physical, the mental task that is, coaching or playing in the NFL, it can be overwhelming. And um, and he he, he mentioned Andrew Whitworth, who he's good buddies with. You know, Andrew's older than him. So, you know, he played forever. He started at left tackle for 40 years in the league, for crying out (laughs) loud, 20 years. But Andrew always reminded him, it's always a blessing, it's never a burden. Hmm. Like, playing in this league is a blessing. Coaching in this league is a blessing. And so, Sean just said he spent a lot of time with his, you know, self-talk um and trying to lift people up, be positive and just having, you know, intentional gratitude at all times. Just to be thankful. And he's like just because it ends without a Super Bowl does not mean it was an unsuccessful mm-hmm. season. You know, you just have to look at the things you learn and how you affect people and and um how people grow and all those kind of things. So he had this mental reset that was really good for him. And I think that was for him, the biggest, the biggest thing that re-energized him. You know, they had a, he and his wife had a a child and I don't know, he, man, he just felt like, he just felt like the guy that I had met with early in his career, that you just walked out of the room and you felt totally energized by his presence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he is, he's the epitome of the old saying, there's two types of people those who energize the room when they walk into it and those who energize the room when they walk out of it Mm -hmm. and i don't want to be the guy that brings energy to a room that i walk out of i want to be the guy that brings energy to a room that i walk into and he is that guy man he just brings a ton of energy into the room um he's straightforward he's not afraid to tell you what he's thinking what he wants to do how he wants to accomplish it's really cool too i was asking about the relationship with kyle and he said, because they they play in the same division, it's been hard, you know, to to spend as much time talking as he would like to and picking each other's brains. He's like, if he played and you know, if he was coaching the AFC or coaching right. a different division, it'd be different. And so, it just like the the mutual respect they have for one another, the way they coach their football teams, um, the energy that they bring to their football teams, um, they are they are two of the Just not only two of the great coaches, but truly two of the great guys. Two of the great dudes in this league. So they're fun.
1: Did you get a chance to talk to Aaron Donald? Because I know that you have many times on this podcast said, without a doubt, in your opinion, the best football player uh, in all of of football. Uh, Put the quarterbacks aside, the best football player in football is Aaron Donald.
0: Yeah, I did. I, I talked to him pregame. He wasn't playing. He was yep. just uh, he was exercising and stuff. So I just talked to him for a second. I didn't want to bother his his routine or whatever. But um, that dude's a great player. And I was asking Kyle Shanahan how you've had so much success against Aaron Donald, and he he said very much like what we talked about in the other podcast about how how many different ways they have to block the edge and yep. frustrate a defensive end. So when you play against Aaron Donald. You have to have a plan for him on every single play, and it's constantly got to be different. And he goes, at the end of the day, you've got to try to frustrate Aaron Donald to the point where he is, you know, where he you basically throws his hands up.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: he goes, Easy, easier to say than do. Yep. He goes, but here's, here's the difference between that team in the last few years and the team they have right now. If Aaron isn't making a play, he goes, Kyle said that most of the time that defense would just wait around for Aaron to make a play. Felt like they were just going to – they were going to do what they did, but they're just waiting around for Aaron to do something, to make a big-time play. Like, everybody's just kind of waiting. And he goes, now they don't wait. The other guys are all energized to make a play. And when they went through this rebuild process, um, not only Sean McVay – but also Les Snead and the rest of the organization, mm-hmm. um, Raheem Morris went to Aaron Donald and said, what do, you, what do you need? Like, What would you like us to go after? And Aaron Donald said to them, My only, the only thing that I need you guys to do is just to draft players who care. Because that's it. They don't have to be the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, the whatever. Just guys who care. Hmm. Guys who want to grind, guys who want to win, guys who care, and boy, I, t- I tell you what, what a what an incredible, like yeah. you know, what a thoughtful kind of way to go about that. So, really cool. Had great meetings. Um, I'm telling you, I I think the Rams the Rams are going to be a tough out. Of course, I've got you know recency bias, having just met with them all, but uh, and they're going to be a tough out in these playoffs.
1: Did you did you talk when you visited with Matthew Stafford? Did you allow yourselves to look look beyond uh, and and the possibility of going back to Detroit at the time that you guys talked? It wasn't set in stone yet. Did you guys talk about the possibility? And yeah. if so, how did he yeah. how do he feel about the the prospects hey, of it?
0: Everybody's excited about everybody. Everybody's excited about it because everybody knows how much juice it's going to bring. Mm-hmm. You know, and and the fact that. Hey Matthew, like like I said, Matthew's a Hall of Famer, and what he did in Detroit was incredible. Considering the fact that, you know, they they at the time, you know, they they weren't an organization. I mean, the last time they won a playoff game was in 1992, and so like this is like, you know, it was it was one of those situations. I think mean, they're all excited about that opportunity to go back to Detroit, and they're all excited about their quarterback. I Man, they love Matthew Stafford. He's smart um he's an unbelievable competitor he's unbelievably talented like they're they're excited to go back to where he started they're excited for the game like as i'm sure detroit is the exact same way um for their quarterback in and jared golf i mean this is a great matchup like yeah the script the script writers got it right it's it's phenomenal what a matchup
1: all right can't wait good stuff good stuff all
0: right buddy Yep. For everybody involved in the C2 podcast, we thank you so much for listening. Um, and we will be back with you after the wild card round. So for Mike, I'm Mark. Man, we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks.